This is The Thirst Tank, presented by Trap Brewing Company. Everyone's got the same base milk. Like, it's all grown in the same way. Like, there's a really small portion of anything even remotely decent. Like, it's like you look at a bakery and you don't go into a, like a sourdough bakery who charge you, you know, five pounds, six pounds for a loaf and expect them to say that their grain is the same grain that comes from the, you know, standard white loaf from the supermarket. Like, you would be like, absolutely not. That's madness. But that, that is what's happening in the beer industry and it's universal. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Thirst Time the show that takes a deep dive into the careers and journeys of some of the most influential and creative minds in the craft beer industry today. Today's guest, we have James Rylance. James has been a brewer for around 10 or 12 years now, and he has dotted around at some amazing breweries, including the Colonel, and was right at the start of a little-known brewery called Beavertown. We talk loads about that, And we also dive into his new project, Ideal Day Brewery, which is a project set up down in Cornwall, where James now lives, um, focused on sustainability and pushing the conversation forward with regards to malt, where we get malt from, what kind of malt we're using, and loads of other interesting bits as well. So let's get into it. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents The Thirst Time, and this is our interview with James Rylance. And we start with that all-important question, what was that first beer for him? Yeah, I mean, it was very singular. It was very much like... A moment. A moment, yeah. My, my old housemate, been out for dinner, had a beer, brought it back, brought the bottle back, and I was homebrewing at the time, but, you know, there wasn't really... I had no real knowledge of there being any breweries in London. I was mm-hmm. living in East London at the time. Um, I was, like, probably 20, 21, 22, 21, I think. Yeah, um, yeah that makes sense, 21. And um, he came back with this bottle, and he just had the dregs in the bottom of it. And, I, and he was like, this, this is insane. This is so good. I don't know what, what it is. And <laughs> I smelt it, and I was like, this is in- amazing. Um, and it was Colonel Pale. Wow. And... That was like, that was enough for me to be like, well, I've got to go and find this. Where is this? Um, and he said, apparently they're in, in somewhere in London. I was like, oh my God, okay. And um, my sister and brother-in-law were down and we went off and went down to the brewery that Saturday and literally had, I think it was a, was it a Columbus IPA or a Citra IPA, but that like, you know, one of those. And it was just this complete, like, this is not, this is not other. This isn't you know what you know what people do now with additives and lactose mm-hmm. and all sorts of like artificial flavors and beers. It wasn't that. It was like this is beer, but more beer than I've ever. It's more of a thing. It has more to it than anything I've ever had in my life. And it just blew my head off. And I was at art school at the time doing sculpture, and slightly kind of had looked under the hood of the art world a bit, mm-hmm. and was like, this is fairly grim actually. Uh, I don't really want to make decoration for rich people's houses. Um, and was much more interested in craft and less interested in individualism. Mm-hmm. That I kind of, is what I kind of saw the art world being. And <clears throat> I got chatting to Evan on that day. I'm just like, can I come and hang out? <laughs> I can literally just clean your floor. Like, I don't care. Like, this is, this is, this is it. Just knew, just deep down on me. 
And I, what I learned from being there was I saw the idealism and the creativity of, of what I was experiencing at art school. And I was only in my second year, so I still yeah. had a way to go. And, but I saw it apply to the real world. And that's the, that's the thing that triggered it for me, was knowing that principles and morals and, and skill can be applied to make a living. Yeah. And being some, making, bringing things into existence that you feel are valid. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was just, just amazing. And I, yeah, I started volunteering. Now, Evan is a, he's almost like godly among the kind of British uh, beer scene. And I'm, I, he's, Yoda, he's, the, yeah. he's, the, he's the wise man at the top of the mountain. Yeah, right. And I'm determined to one day sit down with him and, and be able to have these conversations. Because obviously, Colonel, you know, I think it plays a part in anyone that kind of got into <clears throat> beer around 10 years ago or anything in the yeah. UK beer scene. It's probably Colonel's going to have touched. You know, you're going to have experienced that and and it's going to have changed you. But what was it like? So you've just had your head blown off basically by seeing all the principles that you loved in sculpture and art, but actually put into an industry maybe that you had never Mm. even thought about. What were those like first meetings with Evan like? And what was it, you know, what was it about the kernel that really drew you in other than just the beer? I think it was the, the thoughtfulness of it. Like... I I was you know very excitable, talk nonstop, still kind of do, <laughs> and you know I'd fill the gaps with yep. Evan's silences. Yeah, and he wouldn't listen. Well, he would listen, but he's he's formulating what he's going to say, mm-hmm. and then he'd say something, and you just go fuck. Of course, yeah, yeah, that's it. You just summarized you know, hours of jabbering from me. And it's like, that's that. That's probably what you meant. In a beautiful, succinct manner. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and just seeing like, you know, it, it added, you know, just had Kai, like, I think, or maybe Uta was pregnant, but, you know, like, you know, was having a little boy. There was an amazingly egalitarian flat system that, at that time. So at that point it was Kriegel who was, uh, uh, I mean, I don't even know where they found Kriegel. Uh, <laughs> Nate and Toby, and and then that was sort of it. Yeah. Um, you know, that, you know. And just for just for like sense, if no one knows about <clears throat> the colonel, or maybe you just got into beer or something like that, and and the colonel maybe not as high on the list as they were if you were getting into beer. Ten they're the best ago. brewery. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're an amazing brewery. But also, they're just a standalone. They're an anomaly in in a in a in a beer world. You know, one of my things is always, oh, you've got to keep moving forward. You've got to keep pushing. You've got to keep doing this. Yeah. They haven't changed the branding since the beginning. No. They didn't even have a salesperson. Still don't. I think I met I, the I, guy. I met a guy and he was just like, I'm kind of doing sales now. I was like, oh, really? So you're, Rick. Yes, yeah, yeah, Rick. Yeah. Um, Love the guy. And I was like. This always sounds like he's screaming into a storm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Rick. <laughs> he's a really funny guy. Yeah, I just met him in Sweden. Um, but yeah, they, they, the, the fact is they just didn't operate in any way that you would presume a business to operate in, never mind a brewery, mm. this idea that the phone would ring, someone would answer it, it could be a, someone that was brewing, blah, 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 and yeah. they just note down what the sales were and, yeah. you know, Because they do it on rotation. So the, the, yeah. the system, I mean, I don't know if it's changed now, but like, you know, a lot of my friends are still there. A lot of my friends have worked there and gone on to, you know, amazing things at other breweries. Yeah. You know, they they all did everything all the time. Yeah. They just moved around, you did a couple of weeks and then you moved and it you know, that's what I mean about that flat egalitarian system. You know, yeah. They never really recognised anyone as being a head brewer or anything. And, you know, there kind of was. You could see, you know, certain people had more experience and kind mm-hmm. of led, guided other people. But it was never, 
breweries that have inherited a sort of combination of the the brigade system in in cooking and the sort of minimal management, slightly militaristic Mm -hmm. structure systems. And, you know, you very much have your lead, your head, your assistant, your, you know, whatever. And it's so degrading to people that they just get pigeonholed. Yeah. And you are, everyone knows you can shit downhill. Yeah. And it's sad and it does, it does bad things to people. And there's, doesn't have, doesn't have a whiff of that. And that's what I think I found really astonishing was if you feel very passionately about how maybe the world could be better, it's very hard to see how it applies in reality. Mm-hmm. And then you see this little bubble in the kernel and you kind of fall in love. It's, it's interesting though, because I always just think as much as I agree with a lot of the sentiments that you just said, it's, it's sometimes without structure, things can just fall apart. Mm, so you need perfect. leadership. I guess you need someone like Evan at the top because that egalitarian philosophically, I totally like, yes. Mm. But then I've actually seen it in, in the practical terms of just thinking, oh, everyone will just kind of be. And then yeah. suddenly you're like, actually, sometimes there's a, a real crave for want of structure in, yeah. in your workplace and in your life. I don't know, it's, it's interesting, but that's what I mean with with Evan and the Colonel kind of thing. That No one else has really done it. And everyone that seems to have brushed against that or been part of it leaves. It changes them forever. Yeah, changed yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and in a really positive way. <clears throat> way which is incredible yeah well positive in some senses but then you you know if you do what i did which was to go there and then go somewhere else and then try and apply that because if you see it that good you're like we can do this like this can be somewhere else you know this can be a, a way of structuring work and life that can be really effective and beautiful but (laughs) <laughs> you know, it doesn't work like that in other places yes. because there's different motivations. Yeah. The reason why it works is, I believe anyway, and, you know, I, I've not been there for a while. Hopefully I'm going to be there in a couple of weeks. Um, is there's a mutual respect for each other, mm-hmm. but even on a bigger scale, a mutual respect for Evan. Yeah. Like a, a sort of universal respect for Evan. That he is in some senses... I see kind of he, a bit of the sort of the gatekeeper of the place. That, yeah. You know, if you didn't, you didn't get a job there because you had a good CV. Yeah. You know, you didn't get a job there, even if you were the best brewer in the world. You, you, you got in because you fitted. You understood. I love that. And like Evan said an amazing thing to me, you know, when I, I left one brewery and was kind of working out what I do next. And he was like, you know, look, you are always going to have a job here. Like if you want a job here, you will have a job here. Just go out and then you can be brave. And if it doesn't work, you can come back. Like, don't worry about it. Wow. And that allowed me to be so much more because I always had someone who'd be like, it's fine, you can come back to perfect if you want. Yeah. So go out and try and do it somewhere else. But, you know, it's doing it somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So let's move on from from the kennel. So, But it was funny, actually, because when uh, we were speaking, we were messaging uh, and you were coming up, You'd listen to Danny from the Beaks podcast. Yeah, right. and he I, was, I was also kind of like, oh man, we we like we totally have the same story. Yeah, yeah. So you you were both handing homebrew to Evan, and he was uh, being really kind yeah. for what it was. <laughs> I love that. I think I think that those kind of kindred spirits as well, because Danny and yourself are such kind of creative souls. Um, 
and I think holds similar beliefs. And Danny's gone on to mm. start his thing, and I'm sure that the lessons that he learned from he never worked at the Colonel, but I'm sure that principles that he saw there and and, and, and beer quality as well was has, has left a mark on him to start his own thing. Yeah. So yeah, you you worked at the Colonel, so you had this. You were in this uh, utopia mm. of a kind. What were the next steps after that? Uh, well, yeah. So I was I finished uni was really wanted to work at the Colonel, mm-hmm. but there wasn't a job there and they were still tiny and it was still like, you know, I think they just moved into the big site or the, the, the current site, you know, they moved from the original site on Jewish Street. And um, Evan was really sweet. He was like, look, I, my kid needs a sandpit. Can you just come and make a sandpit? <laughs> like I'd, my, my degree show was these great big sculptures made out of pallets and falling down bits of wood and all the rest of it. So he's like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. So I sort of spent an afternoon making a, a, a sandpit for Kai. Mm-hmm that could be picked up and put on the shelves and stuff. And it was in the tap room, if you ever went really early days, was, it was like, it was really nice. It, it kind of really brought the place, calmed the place down that you just had a little place for kids to go play. Yeah. You know, it was beautiful. So yeah, I was doing that and uh, one, one afternoon and then everyone was like, oh, um, we're going, there's a new place that's opened up um, that's uh, like a barbecue place with a little brewery in it. Um, we're going to go up have some food. I'll um, come up and I'll, you know, by dinner and um we, we sort of we cycled up there as this like little clan of brewers and um sat down had some food uh, and it was a place called jukes um and uh evan we started chatting and the guys who owned it came over and started chatting to them and and uh the bloke was like oh you know thanks you got you got my email that he sent out looking for a brewer and evan was like yes there you go and just so when this is James, James, this is Logan. You, you're from the same area. You, you, you work together. Like, and I'm like clenching my face because this brewery at Dukes, if you don't know, is that's uh, Beavertown. <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely insane. Yeah. So Evan just guided you to this place, and you didn't know you you'd didn't not know even what was going on. No, it was just like wow. yeah, you, you work here now. Like that's it. And because so. Me and Logan didn't know each other growing up, but we from a very similar place. Like yeah. we're both from the black country. Yeah. Well, he's more black country on Shropshire, but you know, within ten miles of each other. Mm-hmm. And uh and yeah, yeah, like the next day I went and did a trial shift or kind of a couple of days later, and then he was like, Yeah, cool. Like, when do you when do you want to start? I was like, well, I'll come in tomorrow. Uh and that was it. I've mentioned him a couple of times, Beaver Town. Obviously, have just show, uh, sold 100% of themselves to, to Heineken now, but for a time back there, they were just this brewery that was, you know, we would run across the city for if there was Gamma Ray on tap. Yeah. You know, it was it was that draw and exciting. And I'm talking like they were in bottles back then with the, yeah. with the kind of yeah. eye of... Uh, the green cap. Yeah, the green yeah, cap yeah, yeah. and the um, Illuminati the guy. Yeah, 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 the yeah. and I and all that kind of thing. <clears throat> And it was just one of the most exciting brands in beer at that point. Mm. Um, I never got down to Dukes. But can you just kind of guide us? Well, not guide us, but just how did how was it at the start? Like what, what, because it was pretty small scale, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, to the behemoth that it became. Yes, it's, it was, it was, it was wild. It yeah. was, it was, it, it was an experience I'm so unbelievably happy that I had. And it was the hardest working couple of years of my life, or like for three years of my life. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, I was exhausted. But it was one of those things of like, that was a 
utter privilege, but it was nuts. Yeah. It was absolutely crazy. We were in the pub. Um, so when I started, it was the original branding, which was terrible. Um, and then, <laughs> then, and the beers were pretty, pretty bad too. Um, there was Smog Rocket, which was actually, to be fair, was really good um, and never really changed. Yeah. Uh, Eight Ball, which changed a little bit. And then there was Neck Oil, which was basically a best bitter, like a kind of Fuggles cask best bitter trying to rip off Bathams which is kind of a famous brewery from where me and Logan grew up. Amazing brewery. And yeah, brilliant. And um, family run, family owned, family Alice Bathan. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was like, well, you know, I've been at this, this, this other brewery and they make quite nice parallels. Can we, um, can we maybe fix neck oil and maybe um, bring in another one um, and fix the branding? I mean, I, was, I wasn't talking in terms of fixing. I was like, yeah. oh, I was like 20, I was like 22. I was like, oh, wouldn't it be fun if we did this? And Logan was like, yeah, it would be fun. We went and did it. Um, and like, we got so much, we were both so excited about it. And we, we got so much enjoyment out of talking about it with people. And you know, Logan, is his biggest talent is shaking hands. And, you know, he's basically a, he should run political campaigns. He should run around <laughs> shaking hands and kissing babies. Like, that's what he's good at. He's charming guy on earth. Um, but yeah, I just, there was loads of ideas I wanted to do. You know, so basically Gamma is a weird one because Gamma was what I thought a beer should be. Yeah. It was my idea of what a parallel is. Like, you know, everyone's got their combination of hops and malts mm-hmm. that they like, and that was mine, and that was... You know, it was the Bravo and Columbus and a bit of Amarillo and some Citra and and a certain level of bitterness and a little bit of Caragold and a little bit of Caramol and, you know, all this kind of way of structuring that. It was, it was just basically coming from the kernel. It's slightly different to the kernel. It was a little bit more complex in the in the, in the hot profile. Mm-hmm. But it was pretty much, a you know, a kernel-ish beer. Yeah. And then... And this is Gamma here for anyone that's, uh, yeah. that, that's um, listening. And then that, so those, those you know, to show the, the connections, like... Uh, Jonah, who's at the Colonel, he's an amazing illustrator who now does all the branding for New Barns. Um, oh, amazing. He did the first rebrand of Beaver Town, where it was like the desert scene yeah. with the cars upside down in the sand. Yeah. That was, that was all Jonah. And then uh, I, w- I, went to a U- I went to art school and one of my mates at art school was an, an illustrator and he needed a job. He was working in some like stuffy restaurant on Rivington, Rivington Street. And I was like, oh, well, they're looking for like waiting staff in this, this pub that I'm working. I've got this new job in. Used to like, they need, yeah, come, come be a waiter. So he, he got a job being a waiter, um, but he's like an amazing illustrator. Um, so he's like, well, you know, what, like, can, we were doing a new beer, which was called Black Betty. And he was like, can Black like, IPA? Yeah, Black IPA, yeah. the OGs. And again, Toby <laughs> from Colonel cycled up a bag of Cara Malt and Cara, like um, Carafa one and two, two, two and three, up in his bag. and... Betty had a very specific way of making it based because that was how much he could get in his rucksack, which we then realised was too, <laughs> was too much. And then we digged it off and we used to sparge through it and then dig out the mash halfway through because it worked so well. We so did it every single time. You'd half sparge? Half sparge it. So it was like this half? Yeah, yeah. We put too much in and half sparged it, but it worked really well. So we carried on doing it. It was just wow. serendipity that happened. But yeah, so my, um, my mate came to work for the pub and then well, was like, we're doing Betty, can do a label. And uh, yeah, he likes drawing skulls. Uh, and yeah, he did the first label. And uh, that was Nick. That's fucking nuts. So I've known Nick since I was a teenager. That is yeah. so wild how these things come together. And uh, I don't know, for, for me, this is obviously a big deal, but like this is a huge global brand now. And just these small circumstances that kind of bring yeah, it all yeah, together. Yeah, 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 just yeah. 
blow my mind. Yeah, well, you think like... It sold, I think it sold for eventually over 100 million as a company. It was a chunk of change, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're just like, it's insane. Yeah, like if, if, if I hadn't made, if I hadn't made Evan's son of Sampit, and if, I, if Nick hadn't, if I hadn't met Nick in my other mate's halls of residence and thought he was quite funny, but, but odd... And I thought it would be all right to hang out with him. Uh, I think he basically accidentally set his arm on fire. Uh, <laughs> he was fucking around with a, a lighter and a wine bottle, like putting all the gas into it and like trying to make it explode. Um, yeah, none of this would have happened. So fucking like, crazy. Hanukkah wouldn't that have their little doors. golden goose, would they? Yeah. You know? But that's, you know, but also you've got to think about like, there's a gazillion things that didn't happen. Yeah. You know? And I'm sure <clears> I, it seems like, I mean, I don't know Logan at all, but he's, he obviously had a drive to, build that brand into something big so yeah. it may have been a different iteration and stuff but like as we know it now beaver town gamma ray all of nick's um illustrations mm. like that's you know you see it now in every heineken public it's it's very strange now because it's so ubiquitous and you know you walk into pubs that would have never had a craft beer offering and they've got like that neck oil kind of uh tap handle on and that kind mm. of thing it's just yeah it's part of Beer. It's not just. Yeah. It's not craft beer. It's kind of just. It's just mainstream now. Yeah. It's just, yeah, yeah. It's just the first. Mainstream. You know. You know the skull like. <clears throat> so funny. So I was Nick's best man, and we we went off for his um his stag do, and he he was like he was making he was resin setting the skulls, so he made the, carved the skull, and then was like trying to set it in resin so they could put a little bolt on it, screw it on the top. So you had to drill a hole into the, into the base of the little plastic skull thing that you made to then set the nut to screw on the top of the hand, top hand, top of the tap handle. Doing that, he slipped and drilled through into his hand. <laughs> and we were like, fuck are you doing, mate? Like, th- th- your hands are, you know, a lot of people are like, my hands are my work. Like, your hands are, that, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> you can't draw without those. You really need them. And it was so funny. We were like, he turned up to the stag do with like a bandaged hand. And we're like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, man. So can you give us a sense of, you know, obviously I was a drinker at that time and I was being excited by the beer, but could you feel something, a sense of gathering excitement around Beaver Town? Of, yeah. of people, it's like, holy shit, this is, this is hitting some buttons. People are getting excited about this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we... We were a clan. Yeah. We were a crew, and we were we lived and breathed with each other. Like you know, wow. it was all how my big ma- at this time? Maybe ten. Okay, you so know, so small. The, the, the original neck oil can, you know, it's all the skull faces, mm-hmm. just in a stack of skulls, and they're all individual people. So you got like Fred and Nick and Phil and Claire and Mel and Logan and me and Ben and you know Matt and Brandon and everyone. And what's weird is that's now on a lot of people. So, like, your face is a skull, which is odd. Um, but, yeah, a lot of people got that tattooed on them. Um, oh, really? Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like Because you were a pro- proper part of it at that point. Yeah, well, yeah, just... but, but I think because we were such a little unit and we all lived with each other and, you know, we went out with each other all the time and we were just a crew. We were thick as thieves. And we, were, we knew we were in something that was going wild. Yeah. But because it was all spinning around you, it's kind of quiet in the middle. Well, it wasn't quiet, but it was, it was more calm in the middle. Mm-hmm. But we didn't fear anything. We'd yeah. walk into any room, you know, and we thought, you know, we had something to do and something to yeah. say and people liked the beer. And I think, I think the one that really did it was um, first batch of Betty. 
and we capped it alternate black and white caps for some stupid so basically the the, the 24 pack of bottles made a checkerboard and thing one of those stupid little details you do and it sold in like a minute wow it was one of those ones of like boom gone and like okay we will make that again. And this is a black IPA. It's a black, 7.4, I think it was. Yeah. Yes, I don't know. It's not, not a style you see too much of these days. But it was quite a big thing back then. Like, yeah. that's kind of what, like, it's kind of, it's an interesting beer, like, structurally. Well, just that, the core range of Beaver Town at that time was bananas, if you look at it now. Yeah, it's like well, the, the whole point is. ball, rye IPA, yeah, smoked smoke pot. Uh, Bl- uh, Bloody hell as a seasonal. Yeah. Like, back then it was fairly, you know, I was, at this stage, I was starting to, run off down farmhouse saison route yeah and kind of everyone was that was everyone was like that's the progression that's the that's what you do because the ultimate zenith is lambic yeah so how did we get there like that was i think you can use belgium belgium or everything um and yeah i started going down that route so we started doing a lot of mixed firm saisons some interesting barrel stuff some you know bits and bobs but just playing and you know like we, I think in the early days, we couldn't get the beers we were reading about. Mm-hmm. So we just made them. And then in making such a dodgy version of them, we made something new. Um, like, so for example, um, Pliny the Elder, like when we was rewriting at Neck Oil, just to get it away from being the best bitter. It took a, like, we, it was a slow progress and then it was just not working because it had crystal. Yeah, I don't it. really remember Neck Oil in the early days. I remember, it was, like, mostly the, it was just in the pub. Yeah, the yeah. relaunch. Of yeah, it, yeah. And then... Then eventually it was just like, look, we're just this is not this is not. Can we just do it like a session IPA? Mm-hmm. Like that's what I think would be fun. So I was reading, I think probably BYO, like the homebrew magazine, and read a uh, a clone recipe for Pliny the Elder, and I was like, that sounds cool, but like it's just half everything because I want to do like it's, it was eight percent, I wanted four percent, so I just yeah. split it in half, and then just did that, and that was, it, you know, that became the recipe. It's like that simple, like two row American two row, which was for us was our you know, pilsner malt mm-hmm. or lager malt, and then you know, load of the seas, super classic, nice and dry. Well, not dry, but you know, like relatively dry, crisp. Don't let anything get in the way. No crystals, no fuss. Focus on like what you're trying to achieve. That ultimate drinkable beer, and yeah, that was a that was a real like when that was the real momentum beer. I think yeah. that was the one that really sort of went from because we went the pub to Hackney Wick. The Hackney Wick site was a blast. We went from an empty warehouse with one tap and a couple of plugs in the corner to a fully functioning brewery in seven days. In seven days? Yeah, we moved the brewery out of the pub, put the drains in, built the mezzanine, plumbed it, wired it all in. We did it all ourselves. Holy shit. And just smashed it out. And then just just brewed gamma, 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 gamma. So... And then, we, uh, and then we built Tottenham. <laughs> so quite tired. Yeah, I was going to say that, that's a that's a whirlwind. Mm. So these pockets of time, I think we all have them in our lives, and it's just where everything feels exciting and yeah. new, and you've got these this camaraderie and generally youth as well. Yeah, yeah, just right. Like this, this is all the twenties. Yeah, yeah. of just life, and you can just do it. You can stay up late and yeah. get up early. This you got nothing to lose. Yeah, but. Do you remember, was there a point where you felt, because obviously you just said there, you go to Hackney Wick. I don't know what scale that was. That same kit, but with, oh, can I still do it? Well, so we named the fermenters. Okay. Uh, 
This is the thing, like, if we're logical, you have numbers, don't you? But yeah. we named them, uh, it was like basically like old lady names from A, B, C, D. So it's Audrey, Betty, Sisley, Dolly, Ethel, Fanny, Greta? So, I don't know, I'm dyslexic. Okay. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it went, it went, I think we got down to like K. Okay. You know, it was like, so that was, you know, that was a, a middle in size brewery, not too. No, it's, no, it's still four barrel. Stuff, oh, so it's tiny. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so but just brewing a lot. Yeah. So you yeah. go into this. It's a step up. Still hand bottling. Yeah, hand bottling. The next step up from there is a, a big, big one. Yeah, fifty hex, thirty yeah. barrel, which is insane. Yeah, like, that was scale a jump. So went bigger than the kernel. Yeah, that was that was, and it was a, a slightly odd meal at Duke's with me, Logan, and James Watt, um, who's. Uh, Brewdog fame. Um, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we were basically talking about tanks and, you know, realised that you pay for the top of the tank and you pay for the bottom of the tank and the bit in the middle's the cheap bit. Yeah. So you make the bit in the middle bigger. So basically you double size your tanks um, and it's not twice as expensive. And that was James Watts kind of thing. He said to Logan and, and I think that that fundamentally changed... I don't think it changed where Logan wanted it to go, but it changed how it got there. Yeah. Because we went from being, we want, we basically said, well, we've got like six tanks or whatever it was, eight or six. Uh, each tank's got a different beer and we'll kind of rotate it through that tank. And then we'll probably have a couple for like Gamma and a couple for Neckel sort of thing. Like mm-hmm. we, we'd have Betty, we'd have Smog, we'd have Eight Ball and we'd have seasonal stuff going through all the time, you know, like, and it would keep spinning. And then because we've got double-sized tanks, you've got a double brew. And if you've got a double brew, you've got to be able to... And this is 60 barrels worth. This is like... It's big. It's a, yeah, 100 heck. Like, so, so yeah, shit, 10,000 litres. Yeah. We've got to shift it. We were making like 1,000 litres at a time before. And now we're like, okay, cool. Now we're going to get... That's an get exponential... Going. So then it was like, actually, we're not... We're not going to... We've got a bottling line and a canning line. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to make something we can't shift volume and we're not going to leave the fermenter half empty because we need to fill capacity and get it moving. So it became a gamma and neckle factory. And that's, for me, we had that like, I think we were, we were end of the build. Mm-hmm. Everyone was knackered and we were sort of sitting around having a beer. And the question was, do you want to be, be the, so do you want to be brew dog or do you want to be colonel? Yeah. You know, and I knew what you wanted to be. deeply within me what I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And it I think everyone else was sort of the same way. You know, everyone was like, no, we want to be Colonel. Like, that was who we respected. And, I, you know, I don't think that's what Logan wanted. And I think that's fairly obvious now. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was you know, mass appeal. Whereas I kind of want, like, there's a small handful of people in the industry who I really respect. And if they sort of pat me on the shoulder and say, oh, I had your beer, it was nice, then I'm full of joy. And yeah. that's all I'll ever need. Yeah. Um, but that that wasn't it. Yeah, that wasn't it. And I think it was... So a, was that the... I was going to... That was the beginning my mindset. Of the end. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a point where you just like, actually, this has become something way... Yeah, yeah. It was, so it was end of 2014, I think. And I was cooked. I was done, man. Like, yeah. we were doing festivals. We did a lot of the, like, the festival scene. And we we'd, we would do it as brewers. Like, it wasn't... Not back in the day where you send, like, a sales rep and they were just on the road. Like, we did them. So you'd work the brew Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, probably leave Thursday night, do the festival all the way through to Sunday, come home, get some sleep, go back in the brewery, do it all again and go out during the week, you know, because mm. that's what you do when you're 20 and you don't care. But I was just 
completely burnt out. Um, and I think I was about 25. And I, um, yeah, I went off to France and made wine. I was like, I'm going to Burgundy, man. It's done. So I, was, I was utterly done. I can imagine. Um, and and kind of a bit disillusioned because I'd, I'd poured my heart into it. And, you know, my best friends were all there. And helped... You know, you came up with gamma ray recipe, so yeah, they're my it's babies. Your work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and I felt a very like paternal feeling towards it, because mm-hmm. um, they didn't. Ex- and I think a lot of that's down to Nick as well. They have so much personality. You know, if that was in a a normal bottle, it would never have done what it did. Yeah. You know, Beavertown is Nick. Yeah. Like he is everything. You know, I'm so proud of him. I'm so pleased he's, you know, he's been able to, like his his most recent like. Um, like short film that he did was just stunning. Like absolutely, like tales of the is it Lost Mariner or whatever it was. Oh, I haven't seen it. No, oh, I just have to check it out. Is it is a Beaver Town thing or is, is yeah, just yeah, yeah. Thing? Well, yeah, yeah it's, it's basically you know Nick's brain's an amazing place. Uh, like <laughs> go be be yeah be be warned. Like an amazing person and so clever and he's building a world. And I don't know whether people really pick this up, but I, you know I see it as like. All those characters have an interrelationship with each other. They, you just see them for a flash moment on a can, but mm-hmm. they are—they have stories and they have existence and they have a, a, a plot arc. Yeah, and that was—you know—he's starting to get to that now, where he can—he's got the scope now to sort of do whatever he wants. Yeah, and I mean they're they're a behemoth. They're yeah, huge. yeah, totally. But yeah. then he can, you know, and I think that's—he's amazing. I love him. Yeah, you know, and he's—I'm so proud. That, like he was able to kind of get what he deserved, you know. And it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Because I think we have such a passionate. F- there's a lot of passionate people within the beer industry, and there's a lot of pas- passionate people on the other side of the bar as well that are drinking mm. these beers and really respect independence and 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 what that brings. But if you just look on a purely, as a business point of view, you're brewing in a small pub in 2000. And- 10? 2000. No, maybe 2011, 12, something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. I think 10 years, 11 years later, or 12 years later, or whatever, it's being sold for 100 plus million. I know, right? But that's just. It's just what an achievement. On a business sense, what an achievement. But obviously, along that road, you lose people like yourself because yeah. you, they lost everyone. not everyone's got that. Yeah, they lost everyone. Everyone. Nick's the only one left. Yeah. One person. Yeah. From that original, and you not even such, the original, not even like like a few years in, this is one person. Left. And you had such a crew of people. And I guess the beauty of this industry is that those people, like you you did, you learn from that time, you take something, take an amazing experience away, um, and you go on to find your own thing. Yeah. Or you're like, the, yeah, the people yeah. that have gone from Beaver Town to kind of, is Johnny up at New Barns? Yeah, and Fred at Fred New Barns. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah, everyone just went to New Barns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's Scotland. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. And you know, there's, you know, we're still all in touch now. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, yeah, the proper halcyon days, and you know, sitting around and like talking about it, it's brought back loads of memories that yeah, I, I completely forgot about. I, I don't really live in the past yeah. that much. I'm not like a, I'm not nostalgic. I think about the, the future a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, for better or worse, and but think about that. It's like they were great. It was wicked. Yeah, and all the all the things that have happened since, and all the sort of difficult feelings people have around Beavertown. It doesn't, for me, detract one jot yeah. about this like wild ride. Oh.
You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the First Time, and this is our interview with James Rylands. The antithesis of that is the kernel, because, you know, the kernel... Yeah, how, the- how, the, how, that's the, like, how I went from the kernel is what I want to do and be, and how that morphed into beef type. <laughs> Someone was asleep at the wheel, yeah. it might have been me. <laughs> It's just so fascinating and I get, I get kind of excited talking about it and nostalgic. I'm, I'm generally quite forward thinking as well, but I just remember the excitement at that time and just this new industry that seemed to be emerging. Mm. Um, and I think I think at that time it was very London-centric. Yeah, you know, there was a lot of yeah. really exciting, brew, like Colonel, Beaver Town, Pressure Drop, you know. Partizan. Yeah. Yeah, Brew by um, Numbers. Yeah. Partizan, yeah, Brew by Numbers. All of these breweries that were just, I think, probably a little bit... Brodies. Bro, <laughs> the absolute G. Well, where did you people go don't rem- people don't remember this man? Like, no, I don't. Brodies are just Brodies was it? Bunny Basher back in the day, like two thousand nine, eight. First people producing sour beer in in London or in the UK. I don't know. No but way. Like, oat, like kettle soured, bag of grain, boil it. James Brody producing insane things in the back of an East End pub that we ended up living by, and it was. It's, it's, they've sold it now. It was the most wonderful pub, the most wonderful batshit beer. You know, it was the first... They were getting McKellar beers in, all the big breakfast stouts from, like, day one in a East End boozer with a giant projection screen with football on 24 hours a day. It was incredible. You know, like... I guess London was exciting at that time yeah, as well as a but you, as could, a you could be poor in London at that time. At that time. Well, no, not, it's just Not impossible. poor, but, like... Yeah, I mean, you didn't, like, I was the student and I like, had a part-time job and a student loan. And, like, part-time job was just scrubbing floors, you know. And I, and stuff. It's, I don't want to be careful how I, I phrase this, but you now look at the London beer scene and it's it must be so hard to just exist. Yeah. As if you want to be, like, a small creative brewery, like us, for instance, the rent and, and what you have to deal with is just... Yeah, I mean, and, look at, like, George Street, where where Colonel started. Yeah. Like, the Colonel was there because it was cheap, because no one, apart from like, MIT garages, wanted to be in a railway arch. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they're allowed and there's no natural light and they're freezing in the winter and boiling hot in the summer and just basically a, a mess. And they were there because, yeah, because it was cheap and they shared it with, like, ham and cheese in another company. Like, it is now a, a road and I'm sure there's, like, high-end fashion shops. And mm-hmm. I think so someone's like, I did a... Like, yeah, Hugo Boss or something ridiculous on it. You're like, what, what is this? You know, I think for people to get in, breweries need space. Yeah. And they need time. And they need to feel, the people in there need to feel safe to be free, to make things, to solve problems that they know need addressing or to create things they don't know how to make or mm-hmm. to to produce things that don't exist. Like, in an environment where you're instantly loaded up with a million quid's worth of debt and you're paying an inordinate rent. And on a human level, in terms of where people rent and where they live, as well as on a on a business level, it's in, in terms of a, a site, it's massively not conducive to anything new. Yeah. And I would be very surprised... I seriously hope I'm wrong, but I think I'd be very surprised if, if anything small and new and exciting came out of London. I, it's, I mean, it, there's, it was I quite wrong, interesting. Though. Yeah, I hope 
you're wrong as well, but it is just, it's funny going to London now and there's quite a few just basically brew pubs under those arches where it's just small scale, mm. but sell direct mm. villages, I'm thinking, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the, the strangle of, of just, yeah, your oncoming rent each month and then the wages that you have to pay for people to even be able to exist mm. in that city is... Yeah, I, 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 you know, we're in the north. It's Manchester's creeped up a lot in the in the last couple of years, but I hope that we can still manage to maintain some, <laughs> something yeah, different totally. to that. But anyway, we we digress. So let's look to the future. Yeah. Um, you had a couple more stops along your way. Yeah. But where you are now is you've just got your own space, and you're setting your own path. And I guess. You know, it takes a long time for us to get to the point of, and a lot of guts mm. to, 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 to just go, right, I'm stepping out into the world of beginning something for myself. So tell us a bit more about this project that you're, you're just beginning. Yeah, so my brewery's, well, our brewery, it's a family brewery. Yeah. Um, me and my wife are co-owners. Um, it's called Ideal Day Family Brewery. And we're on a farm in Cornwall that's a regenerative agricultural farm. Um, and really, like, you know, what we said about experimentation and the access to doing things, it, it, it came about because we, were, we wanted to open a brewery and we have done for years. And we've got two little kids. We've got a two-year-old and a six-month-old. So we're really, like, sleep-deprived. <laughs> and just, you know, in the thick of it, we're like, well, an opportunity came about where uh, a friend of mine who's a chef who's, who was... A guy called Dan Cox, this amazing guy, who's who was the head chef at Claridge's. He was Simon Rogan's, you know, second in command. Wow. Took on this farm with the idea of having a restaurant and uh, a brewery and, uh, you know, growing the crops on the land and a big market garden and livestock and all the rest of it. But, you know, COVID hit and really knocked him back. And since, you know, made really great progress since then. And kind of like, look, you know, the brewery's a whole different thing. Um, and we were chatting, he was like, look, you know, I, we were looking at sites and putting together investment, you know, stuff and all that mm-hmm. sort of jargon and uh, business plans that were entirely fictional. Um, and and he was like, look, we've got this kit, just, you know, do you want to just get going on it? Like, Oh, they had something in place? Yeah, they had like it? a little Dave Porter sort of 500-lit kit. Amazing. And they're like, it's there. We're not using it and we haven't got the time or the, you know, the real sort of expertise to make it do what it could. But you can. Like, you know, you can get going on it if you want. Um, and it was one of those moments we just went, actually, you know what, yeah, let's do it. Like, this is... It, it. I had to ask myself a very serious question of, like, what is left for me in brewing? Mm-hmm. I'd been... I ticked off everything I wanted to do. You know, we did the rock and roll years. We did the, you know, research and development stuff. We did... I made Lambic. I made beautiful saisons. I did barrel work I did the things that I never thought I'd be able to achieve and I did it and I was like well what you know I've only been doing it for about 12 years so I kind of felt like well what what's next and it it was a really it was a moment talking to a, a farmer and he was like what's the what's the deal with with brewers I was like what do you mean what's the deal with brewers and like what's going on with your grain I was like I don't I don't understand we've, we've got a malt it comes from like like British maltsters and he's like yeah, but all your grain shit. Like, it's chemical. It's all covered in fertilizers and pesticides and herbicides and 
fungicides and it's and everyone's is the same. Everyone's got the same base milk. Like it's all grown in the same way. Like there's a really small portion of anything even remotely decent. Mm-hmm. Like it's like you look at a bakery and you don't go into a, like a sourdough bakery who charge you, you know, five pounds, six pounds for a loaf and expect them to say that their grain is the same grain that comes from the you know, standard white loaf from the supermarket. Mm-hmm. Like you would be like, absolutely not. That's madness. But that that is what's happening in the beer industry and it's universal. So I was like, yeah, shit, you're right. Like, and I was, you know, we moved to the countryside and we, you know, live in an area surrounded by agriculture and we were seeing what was happening to fields, just getting washed to the sea. And I think it re- you can really see it when when it rains heavily and it's just soil, topsoil just disappearing. And yeah, fertility because there is disappear- nothing, there's no life in it. To, it's dead, to, to, utterly, yeah. no structure, no life is becoming sand. Yeah. And that sand is then drenched in chemicals and heading to the sea and it's killing the land and it's killing the water and it's, you know, we're going to run out. And it's that terrifying realisation. I think having kids really put that into perspective is like, I don't want that for the future of my kids. What is it they said? It's like 60... um, 60 harvests. 60 harvests. Yeah, if we're lucky, yeah. 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 I think, and it's different, different places. I think think people look out and they see a field of green or they see a field of, you know, barley and it's all golden. Mm -hmm. We get this romanticised view of the countryside. Nine times out of ten, that field is dead and it's covered in chemicals. Yeah. And it is... It's it's not sustainable, and I don't mean like it. You know, it's not got a little badge on it, and it's got the the whatever the organic badge on it or something, or it's RSPCA assured. They, they don't mean anything. You just pay money and you get them. Yeah, like you have to pass tests to do it, but you basically it's a you, know, you pay money to have that little stamp. They're not. This grain system is falling apart. The farmers are having to apply more and more chemicals to their fields to get smaller and smaller yields of which the price of those chemicals is going through the roof. They're having to have bigger tractors and more petrochemical input. And it's just, you know, it's diminishing returns now. So the clock's on. And that, for me, was like, they've got to do something now. Like, this is, this is the thing. This is, this, is, this is the application of those years of thought, yeah. of taking the idealism from the kernel, applying it to making beers that, people fell in love with mm-hmm. and using that passion for what we're doing but having you know there's a lot of jaded people in the beer industry now who've been yeah. doing it a while and are seeing the same beers being shouted about and just not really feeling it anymore and i was like you know this is something worthwhile that i really believe in and i think when you tell people about it they're like well why why are we not doing anything about this but the the issue is you know in bakeries they needed millers they need millers to take to make that connection between small farms trying things out to try and do things more sustainably to bakeries to then produce with those grains. We don't have small monsters in the UK anymore. Yeah. There's something that's in America, they've got some in Australia, they've got some cool ones, and there's some little bits and bobs, you know, in other places. But we basically have a handful of very big monsters, you know, mm-hmm. Warminster probably being the smallest. Um, and until we can shift the needle, we need basically we've got that you know chicken and egg situation where without small maltsters we can't make beers with those grains but without people excited to make beers with those grains and drinkers turned onto it we can't get small maltsters going so you know that's where we're at yeah so the market has to drive the the production of these things yeah i'm just gonna push the whole thing yeah (laughs) just so just gonna will it into existence because it's got to happen 
the thing that got me really like really hit me was the the people I talked to who were in the food production you know we're not we're not food producers we we are refiners of ingredients mm-hmm. they're food producers and they're way more worried about this than I'm and you know talking to people like Tim Williams who's the farm on on a crocodile but also he's got earth farm around the corner it's an incredible farm and what he's doing is amazing but they're like properly worried now and I think it was that urgency of like you know well, okay, right, as a brewer, I've got to do something here. Yeah. So, like, what's stage one? So, like, well, stage one's get in without debt. Yeah. Because with debt, I have restrictions. So we basically, because of Dan's, you know, open-heartedness and generosity, we got started and took an opportunity that was there. We produce beers using as much regenerative grown grain off as many small producers in the southwest. Um, and we're part of the Southwest Grain Alliance, which is, which is a big collective of growers and farmers and bakers and now some brewers as well. So we use as much raw grain as we possibly can using the the enzymatic power, the diastatic power in the malt that already exists um, to convert those grains. So we've already got like 30% of our grain sorted. Then we go after the 70%. So then stage two is like getting the best possible grain we can. So whether that be organic or heritage grains. And there are there are some available. The heritage grains are still chemically farmed. The organic stuff sometimes is new modern varieties, but it's a best of best of a bad lot. Mm-hmm. Then stage three is showing that this works. And then there's a maltster, there's a guy who's wants to open a maltings in 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 Somerset, well Somerset Devon border. And then I've we've got to collectivize. Like we've got to be together on this. Brewers have got to come together and you know they can be a bit individualistic. Like we've got to forget that now. Like there's something more important. So we've got to come together and collectivize our buying to back a farmer or a grower or a small maltings to then make malt that's sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, then once we do that, we can prove that it's working and then we can scale. And for me, I've always, I'm not a capitalist. I don't really like capitalism. I think it's pretty horrible and it's destroying people and it's destroying the planet. There has to be a bloody good reason to grow. And I couldn't see a reason to get even slightly bigger than survival. And for me, that reason that I eventually found was because the more grain we can absorb into this system and the more we can spread out sideways, and it's not vertical, it's sideways growth, mm-hmm. the more agricultural land is being put into production that can lock in CO2 and increase biodiversity and make it more resilient mm-hmm. um, and actually have grain in the future. You know, And I think that's where where the motivation to really focus has come. And then, you know, for me, in terms of what we make, it's it's about beautiful, delicious, like drinkable beers. Mm-hmm. You know, we're kind of doing the exact opposite of what I think everyone would say you should do. Like, I think the standard model is like highly colourful, 440 mil wraparound can, loads of hops. And those beers are great, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're nice, you know, but you, you, should, you know... We're, we're not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing grain-orientated, expressive yeast, you know, fermentation-focused, 500 mil glass bottles with the same label over and over again, just stamped with something, you know, with yeah. the name of the beer. Because then we, there's, you know, within that, we have no waste. There's no thrown away labels. There's zero waste when you hand bottle. So are you, are you trying to get to a point of absolute zero 
with regards to yeah 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 the the big ones water plastic, usage plastic plastic plastics problem. yeah so That's, how how so I'm totally on board like it's it's amazing it's it's an incredible journey I've listened about soil regeneration and and also the loss of topsoils and how it affects well how without it the planet is totally fucked. Yeah. The planet will <laughs> but, be fine. We, we won't be. Yeah, we won't be. Yeah, the, planet, the planet will work it out. But it's got a bigger is, scale than us. Yeah, how it's the scalable side of it because obviously at the scale that you're going to be producing beers and stuff, there's actually, you can control these mm. areas way better than you could if you were diving straight in and you had, I don't know, 30 hec tanks yeah. and a 30 hec brew house. Yeah. You're going to be way more limited about what you can do and the ingredients that you can use. Yeah, yeah. And without, I guess, you know, the big monsters and stuff, what, have you spoke to any of them? Are they are they looking at this and are they realizing that, oh, our soil's not going to be able to exist for too much longer? Because yeah. we we spoke earlier a little bit about Wild Farmed, amazing initiative set up by um, I know, like George, George Lamb. Lamb and yeah. uh, I forgot the, the guy guy's from name. Groove Armada. Guy, yeah, the guy yeah, from yeah, Groove yeah. Armada. And they're doing loads with regenerative farming, but it's, it's grown on our farm as well. Oh, amazing! It's going out Crocodon. That's incredible. Yeah, like they work with lots of farmers, but yeah, and and but that's going more into the food sector, into yeah. like, as yeah, you yeah, said, yeah. The, they got the into milk. Marks and Spencers at an affordable price. Yeah, it's amazing. So, the, so that would say that it is possible to get to a point where you're yeah. not your markup's not huge on what you would normally buy produce for, and and it's a better product, you know. Yeah. So Sam, who does the pizzas in the tap room, he uses all of their flour, yeah. and he said it's the you know it's the best flour, so he wants to use it, and also he wants to support regenerative ag- agriculture so now as as in the beer world we need to make those malts the best they possibly can be yeah and usable and how far off do you think that is so we i firmly believe in valuing human beings within a system yeah like that's got to be number one that you've got to value the skills of people and within a, a bigger industrialized process, that basically gets diminished because you, you, you make people fit a machine. We got to use our skill because we're limited, hugely limited. You know, we're probably, we, we might brew with some American hops, but it won't be a big part of it. Most yeah. of our hops will come from one farm in, in Herefordshire, um, from Brookhouse, because yeah. I, I trust them and I understand how they're doing it. And I think they're, they're responsible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're pretty much going to be one farm hops. You might have like six varieties to use. Yeah. Um, we can get organic um, uh, We can get organic yeast from White Labs and, and Trolls is really up for it. He's really excited about it. You know, the monsters, they're, they're, they know this. They know this and they're keen to do something about it. It's just there's no demand. You know, like no, no brewers knocking on the door. There's a bit of heritage grain, so we're using some stuff from Crisp. Yeah. And Crisp, to be fair, have been have been good. They're like, you know, yeah, we, we, if we can... Because UK's got the best, like, it's an incredible malt. Amazing. We yeah, ship yeah, yeah. it all over the world. Like, it's, yeah, yeah, totally. It's, it's incredible you know, and what, what it does, it, that malt, you know, the first thing about regenerative agriculture is context is everything. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't, you know, everyone goes on about no-till. And no-till is, sounds nice, but it's not actually really that much of a significant thing in the UK. But that, what do you mean by So no-till is, is minimal intervention into the soil. So you basically yeah. don't turn the soil. Because every time you turn the soil, you expose the bottom to the air. Yeah. And that kills all the, 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 the fungi and the... the mycelium. Yeah, the mycelium in, yeah. within the soil structure, which is part of the nutrient spreading and communication within that soil and all the structure. That all dies. 
uh, and then you basically plant into a substrate as opposed to a living thing. Um, what that that's a really important thing in a lot of places in America and especially in Australia because they have incredibly extreme weather that they have baking sun. So if you turn that soil over, it's it's you've it's getting scorched. But in, in the UK, it's actually less of an issue. The more of the issue in the UK is runaway due to shitloads of fertilizers that we just pummel it. You know, we've got pretty bloody good soils and a very reasonable climate. Well, I've been saying that this summer was mental. You know, you had farmers harvesting six weeks early and having small yields. You know, it's, it's wild. You know, so we get hooked on terminology, but actually it's about context. And for me, I had to look at what I had and be creative with it. Like, we have amazing malt. Like, we have the ability to grow amazing malt. And there are some people doing some interesting stuff in terms of heritage varieties and some organics. So we'll run with that. We'll start there. Because those produce fantastic drinking beers. You know, like, that. that's what I love. Like, I've got a dream... 4.5% Terrace Bulba style perfect beer in my head. Like it's been there forever and I've got close a couple of times. Like that will be there. Like mm-hmm. table beers like are delicious, but they're all based around hops at the moment. Like yeah. they should be based around malt. Like malt is, is so much of it. And, and using expressive yeast. You know, we can reuse, you think about like the role yeast plays and stuff, but most of our yeast that we use are basically there to not be there. Yeah. You know, they're USO5 like clean you know, or New england ones. And actually, it's about using skill and not just throwing shit tons of American hops until it, you know, you're just picking out your teeth. Um, which is how we get, you know, we have to do that also. It's about being reasonable on price. Like, yeah. you know, these things have got to be accessible. It's about that growth. I was very much in the past, I was like, it's got to be small. I've got to make it all, like, in one place about me. It's like, you know quite egocentric now it's like we could brew you know we're tiny brew kit i'd be happy to brew in another kit like you know i'm happy to cook a brew somewhere else because using those ingredients yeah yeah like we're gonna do collabs with other people and the first thing i'm like if we're doing a collab we're gonna go find your local grain producer and we're gonna go talk to them we're gonna go find some grain that they're growing that they're excited about and then that's going to be the basis for the collab. So we've got like, you know, we're doing one with Partizan, we're doing one with XL, you know, there'll be probably one with Unity in the future, mm-hmm. like, you know, and be like, okay, what, what are these breweries? Who, who are the breweries' local farmers? Like, let's go talk to them. You know, it's, it's that focus of, it, it, it's got to have a structure and yep. it's got to have a way to go because it's got quite a specific outcome. Yeah. And, and But that a lot of that... This is all the back bit of my head. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is what my head, my head, in between the kind of changing nappies and, and, and bringing <laughs> up two wonderful little boys yeah. and being a you know, husband and father and stuff. It's, you know, and ultimately, I want someone to drink that beer at the bar and either think about all of that and sip it and enjoy the complexity within the beer and the complexity between the, within the thought and the the philosophy and guide that it, it, it went through to get there or think about none of it and just enjoy it. Like, yeah, I always think that, that that bit is, it's it's where you've got layers to what you do where someone just drinks it because it's nice and then yeah. you go, oh, these guys are like pushing regenerative farming and changing techniques that haven't been used. Or like, yeah, I mean, I get lost in all that because I love beer and I, I love story and mm. I love, um, it's trying to turn everyone onto it I guess the guys at Wild Farms who've got their loaves in Marks and Spencers, they're just looking for people who are buying loaves of bread. Yeah. And then suddenly you've, 
you've got these people and the bread's good quality and they're going, not only are they buying good quality bread, but they're supporting something yeah. bigger. And like it's the deliciousness is the route to change. Yeah. You know, it's like that's, it's, I, I'm a real firm believer in like, you don't guilt trip people into this and yeah. you don't shove it down the throat. You do it through it being delicious. Yeah. You know, if I, if someone paid no attention to the thought that went into it, but they drank it and enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, that's great. Like that's that's all I need because it's yeah. not going to change how I. I'm not going to go. Well, they didn't think about it, so now I'll get away with not doing it. You know, it's like you know, this is my motivation. The the beer is going to be. Is going to come from there. Mm-hmm. Do you think if you get that little link in the chain, the maltsters, then that could just flip things into yeah. into, into a small like high gear? If there's anyone listening who wants to open a small maltsters, <laughs> there's, one, there's one guy called Owen Barrett. So you use a lot of malt, like you know, use tons and tons of malt. And the, the, margin, for, the margins for are amazing. You know, yeah. like if you if you take you know really 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 well grown grain, you know, seven hundred pounds a ton. Yeah. Really really well malted grain is easily twice as much as that, if not more. The hard part, I guess. And this just falls across society now with everyone getting squeezed in so many directions. Mm. And malt has actually increased by 52% or something. It's mental. Something crazy. Everything has. Yeah, everything has. Caustic went up four times. Yeah, it's just like, it's it's then, (laughs) when you push people into survival mode, that pushes them away from actually thinking maybe further, like the the future down the line. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's, it's getting something to market that actually... Is, is price conscious as well. Yeah. And, and it, they're just all these really hard things to, to measure up. But it's amazing to have someone like you flying the flag for it. And I hope that we can... I'm, I am terrified of saying the word sustainability with regards to anything we do mm. here because it's just, it's just not a sustainable practice as it is at the moment, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, beer no. is... Anyone that's producing beer... And it's good to be honest about that. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, we're... You know, my brewery is all electric, but yeah. that, don't, you know, that electricity is not coming from solar panels on the roof. Yeah. You know, it's like we're using glass bottles. They take more energy than, say, like cans, but we're yeah. doing it because we don't have to buy a canning line to do yeah. it. You know, we're we're doing all these little things and some big things with our grain and, you know, big things on the farm, but it's none of it's there. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's fine that it's not there because it has to start, and I think that's the thing we get so wrong with with a lot of this, and you see it within veganism or within organics. It becomes an absolute. Mm-hmm. It becomes a you are or you aren't. Whereas you should be like, I did better today. Yeah, like because I, I, I went did it a bit more. I, I went vegan and then kind of got and never went like militant, but uh, and then now I still eat mainly vegan diet, but I don't. Like sometimes I, a phrase I always think is like, perfection is the enemy of progress. You know, yeah, people, yeah. as soon as you say a vegan to someone, they just want to pull you apart. Mm. You know, they really want, it's like, got leather shoes on. Like, yeah, I've got leather shoes on. Yeah. You know, like it's that kind of conversation. But leather shoes are a really good example. It's like, I've got leather shoes on. Yeah. I will wear them for probably 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the cows that got came from got eaten by someone maybe. And yeah. that took about half an hour. Yeah. You know, which is worse? Definitely the half an hour. Yeah. Like, there are, you should do everything you possibly can and don't let not being able to do everything stop you from starting. Yeah. And I think that's where we're at. It's I, like, think, I think that's a very good way of putting it. Don't let every, don't let, what, did you, that, what was that phrase? That was a, I'll that was a beautiful, record like, it. I've, I've recorded it. So. <laughs> but yeah, don't, yeah, basically, you know, don't let not being able to do everything stop you from, you know, getting the ball, getting mo- yeah, getting started. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's, 
you know, we're, we're going to see it's a, you know, it's a scary time. Like yeah. we're doing this off our own back yeah. with all, you know, all our, just the little bit of money we managed to save whilst, you know, working in breweries and we've got two little kids, you know, and it's a commitment. It's a commitment, but you know, that, and there's so much beauty in it. You know, I can get lost, you know, you're committing yourself to something that in the hope will be beneficial to your kids down the line. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, you know, you know, there's going to be a, there's going to be a moment my kids are going to ask, you know, what did you do? Yeah. And I, I would like to be able to say I did something. Yeah. You know, and, I, you know, it's going to be their brewery in the future if they want it. Like, you know, the, the people sort of, when you start a business, they go, oh, so what's your exit strategy? And I'm like, <laughs> here we go. Check it out. To die. Heineken buy out. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Heineken. Yeah, yeah, right. No it's, no, it's literally, it's like, if I'm, I quite like the idea of being like the old bloke in the corner sweeping the floor. Yeah. Like, I'll be that. Yeah, and I've got friends. I, I think, again, just to go back onto to that sustainable thing, yeah, I've always, I'm terrified. I, I went and did a meet the brewer the other day and said, they were like, what are you doing for sustainable? I was like, well, not, nothing really, you yeah. know. We, we're trying to create a sustainable business in a sense and, and get to that point, which is hard in, in this day and age. And then ideally, I, I mean, I would love to kind of push these things, but there needs to be something in that chain. And you're right, someone needs to start it. Like suddenly that kind of malt just takes off yeah. and people... If your customers it, want it. And the customers want it and then it becomes a yes, viable sir. product for the market. Suddenly, you said earlier that the, the grain that people use is probably the biggest carbon footprint that any brewery... Of, any, uh, of anything. Of anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, don't, I haven't got the specific numbers, but talking to people, it seems to be yeah. that it's bigger than, you know, whether you can or whether you bottle, you know, how far you send your grain, how far you send your beer... You know, hops coming over. Hops, yeah. It it seems to be singly because I think it's see in the hop world, it's kind of interesting because there's, you know, we use Crosby hops. I spoke to Zach, and they're really they're a registered B Corp. They're doing they've got this I can't remember what it's called Salmon Something Alliance, and it's all about chemicals used on crops, and and they're very very um, focused on this. Mm-hmm. And the same one uh, had a guy called Brent from Mac Hops in New Zealand. They're dealing with the climate all the time. Mm. And they're on the sharp end of it. And they're on the sharp end of it. So we're, we're in aware. a little like fairly, you know, our, our, we thought it was bad when, when we had a bit of bit of sunshine. Yeah. It's nothing. Like, yeah, it's you know, nothing. And Australia was on crop. fire for months. And yeah, and same in America when Portland became like 50 degrees. And, and yeah. there was... A, there was a place in Canada that was like fucking hot in the desert. Yeah. Like, What's going on? Yeah. So, man, it is... It is it's scary, but the, 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 if to, to spin it into a positive is that there's people like yourself, but also there is people like Wild Farm, and there is, I think, um, a growing number of people that are concerned about this that really want to put their money into things that are beneficial mm. for society on a whole. And I hope that I hope that it can snap into gear where people aren't even making it as a choice. It's just, it's just there. It's just there yeah, to yeah. be had. So the I, grain that we buy is just it's heritage that we buy because it's good and it's, you know. Yeah, and I think what the, the, for me why I think it's it's viable is that we're not fundamentally changing the process or base structure of the making the beer or the industry that's in. Yeah. We, it's all there. The grain just can be grown more sustainably and then you can buy it and put it through a brewery and you won't even notice. And like, it's like electric cars will be make petrol completely redundant when you don't even call it an electric car you know having livestock in a in a in an agricultural system is vital yeah 
and those animals are are the the composting soil building machines. Cows are amazing. Mm-hmm. What they do to land is phenomenal, and they they kind of have to be in the system. And the you know we're talking about waste, and what what is really fascinating is is waste is a completely man made thing. We, no, nothing else has waste. Waste is. Waste is what happens when your when your system doesn't have outlets. You just basically dump it. You don't have a use for anything. You know that thing can't go anywhere. You know on our farm we've got enough diversity and enough outlets that we can pretty much use everything. Mm-hmm. You know, so like our our spent grain is going to the animals, but it's also feeding um, the anaerobic composting teas that are spread all over the farm. All of our hops are going into mulch. All of our yeast is going to get fed to the, the pigs. You know, everything within our our production, even things, even like really small details, like when you cut your runnings at 10.10 or 10.8 or whatever you do, the gravity of the wart coming off the mash tun, our last bit is going to go to feed our anaerobic um, composting teeth. So cool. It's all going to go through. Like yeah. our chemicals go into a soak away, but they go into, we use a tiny amount of chemicals because we're basically keeping it as, as low as possible. They get mixed in with, with a big rainwater tank. Mm-hmm. So it's like down to absolutely nothing. You know, instead of dumping them into a system which then floods it with alkaline and floods it with acid, they get incorporated with about a thousand litres worth of rainwater coming off the big roof. And then that goes to, to soak away. So then that just is basically null and void. Plastic's going to be an issue. You know, we're hand-bottling um, our labels. We're just basically having one label. Yeah. You know, and we might change that eventually. But we'll have one label and stamp it. Very kernel. Um, yeah. Because then there will never be waste within the label system. It's every element has got to be thought through because that's, that is my context. My con- I am a brewer. This is where I am context is everything mm-hmm. like i have to use every skill i possibly can can have to affect it you know we've got grain growing on the farm but it's not molten grain it's not malted it was grown it's red laminus and olins and some yq and some amazing things but the red laminus is going to be probably the first thing we use and and some good oats coming as well that's going to be milled and then i'm going to make beers using that and have to completely change my mash mash and using different yeast that ferment in different ways that are going to suit that higher level of starches you know it's every single stage of it is now is getting thought through but this is just to get to the start like when we get into it then it's going to keep going like this isn't like a fixed point this is you know like you you get the ball rolling however you can you know get nothing made new like secondhand everything you know it's, it's every every element you just get moving and then you improve and improve and improve um and hopefully something delicious comes out of it. But it, you know, that what's nice is making beautiful beers is the play. Yeah, that's the that's the love. That's you know, well, it's still love. Yeah, it. I mean, raw ingredient to finished product and something delicious at the end of it, and then knowing that those ingredients have come from such vital networks that we need to improve. Mm. It is amazing, man. I, I I totally hope that the future looks more like that, that every brewery's yeah. kind of pra- within these practices. It's just going to take a lot of work to get there. We'll get there. You know, we'll get there eventually, maybe. I hope. I guess it's a necessity to, to some degree. Yeah. Um, okay, well, usually I ask the question of how do you see the next 
five years or what would you like to see? But I think we've, think, kind of, we've got it. Yeah, I think we've got it all in, the, in there. Yeah. So I'll, I'll skip to the last question. Um, thanks so much for doing this, James. It's been a really, really fascinating no, conversation. Pleasure, and and I've, I've been thinking about maybe doing a little, just like mini series on sustainable practices within brewing and, and what the future looks like for that. Um, and again, I'm not saying we're a sustainable brewery at all. I don't want to greenwash in any way, you know. Mm. It's... Uh, because we're not, we, there's, there's loads of work to do. Um, but it's interesting hearing about what's going on further up the supply chain, mm-hmm. um, which almost takes decisions out of brewers' hands because, yeah. because they're seeing, they're at the sharp end of the stick, like you said. But anyway, back to beer that you love to drink. Yeah, man. So <laughs> talking about the apocalypse. We, we yeah, were it's not going to be an apocalypse. We're, it's yeah. going to be fine. We launch catastrophes. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, so you're in a bar. Yeah. There's a little news flash in the corner on this little flickery screen that says a comet's about to hit in an hour. Yeah. The bar serves any beer that's ever been made or he has a little brewery in the back where he could whip something up like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's how it works. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> For anyone that doesn't know the brewing process, uh, you can drink anything you like, any beer that's ever been produced or that's not yet been produced but that you would like to, to see. You see the flash... The barman comes over, slaps his hand on the bar and says, what are you drinking? What's that beer going to be? It's kennel table beer, isn't it? Of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. Like, it's it's quiet, beautiful perfection. It's as good as beer can be. You drink it and notice nothing, and that is why it's so good. Because it's such a technically difficult beer to make done by such wonderful people Mm -hmm. to an astonishing level that no one even gets excited about anymore. And that's what, that's where we want to get to is that we don't even want people to notice that their grain is better. Yeah. We we don't want people to notice that their cars are electric and you can drink a kernel table beer and just be deeply happy. And then the asteroid hits. Um, (laughs) that'll do me yeah Yeah. awesome James thank you so much for doing this man pleasure really appreciate it that was so good and that's it another episode done thank you so much for listening a massive thanks to James for being such a great guest I hope you took something away from that one it was so cool to get into the history of Beavertown, also just a little bit about the Colonel, and the incredible work that James is aiming to do with Ideal Day Brewery. Um, yeah, I hope that a lot of the things we talked about just become commonplace in the brewery scene. But we've got a bit of work to do. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. And when they're releasing their first beers, make sure you go down and uh, support them. A massive thanks to Tom Coucher, who produced this episode. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with another episode next week. But for now, stay thirsty. <laughs>